Hello listeners, we're back with Fishy Tales. It's myself, Rudolf Skippers, and I'm here with my partner, Mick Clark. Hi Rudolf, yeah, great to be back again. Mick, yes, um, yeah, always nice chatting, fishing, and, and stories related to fishing with you. So, what's on the menu today? Oh yeah, it's funny you should say what's on the menu, Rudolf, <laughs> because uh, what we're going to say is what's on, what's on the uh, menu for the fish. And we're coming into that time of year now. There have already been some great summer fish started early. Um, we've had some nice weather days, and they're just going to get better and better, of course. So what I thought we'd talk about this week is uh, harvesting bait, where, you know, once upon a time when I first started, I would go to the petrol station on the way to fishing on my little kayak, and I would get a box of frozen sardines, uh, snap a couple of off before I launched, <laughs> get out to sea there and uh, get these frozen things out and stick a big hook through the head. And somehow I used to catch fish. I have no idea how I used to catch them, but uh, I used to fluck a few. But of course, um, lots of things are going on in the ocean oceans around the world and South Africa is no exception. The fishing's not getting any easier, is it, Rudolph? Yes, Mick, um, it, it, I don't think it ever gets easier. Um, our, our fishing stocks are declining, uh, our oceans are being overfished. And uh, yeah, that's why we always try and, and practice conservation with our sport and, and save as many fish as we can. But to get back to the, to the bait situation, I agree with you. Um, things have evolved over the years. Um, as a kid, I can remember us, if bait was an issue, but not half as much as it is currently. Um, Fishing has become such a professional sport when you're talking about competitive fishing that bait is one of the key, key elements to our success. Yeah, Rudolph, I know um, we'll talk a little bit later. Obviously, when you're shore fishing, bait presentation for you guys is absolute premium. Um, and I think as the years have gone by for me, for my fishing, and when I, I'm teaching fishing to guys, the little bit I know I try to teach to other people, one thing I insist on is is having good bait, whether that's dead bait and it's nice and freshly prepared or just catching that nice live bait. And um, just going back and talking to guys from years gone by, I don't think live bait was even suggested to go out and catch, you know, when you went out on a boat or a jet ski or a kayak, you just put li- uh, dead bait out. Nobody would go to the effort of catching live bait. But... As the fishing changed, you know, we've seen uh, the cooters started disappearing. I'll say disappearing. They're certainly not caught like they used to be. And guys realized if you catch live bait, your chances of catching those cooter again were were just a lot higher. So I think over the years, we've put more effort into catching live bait. You know, we've got better live bait wells. We've got better tackle to catch those live bait. And it's pretty much... For a deep sea angler now, I don't think you would go out there not prepared to catch live bait. It's as simple as that. But, you know, let's talk about what type of baits are good then. So so from a shore fishing point of view, what sort of species would you use for dead bait? What are the sort of premium baits for shore fishing? Okay, Mick, yes, it's an interesting question. You must remember that it's also area dependent. So I'm going to talk specifically KZN Zululand sort of area now when you move to the colder waters in the cape you would use different baits um but in general we use similar baits so i'm going to talk about the general baits i'm not going to go into specifics there's things like bloodworm and fancy little worms and this and that it can really work it, it works well in certain areas targeting certain species but in general in KZN, we've got a, a variety of bait that we always use for our, uh, fish species from edibles to non-edibles and 
most of our bait is pre-caught and frozen so i think we'll get back to the catching and how we prepared a little bit later but for us as shore anglers fishing with bait i'm not talking lure now bait fishing specifically um i'd say our main baits are bonito um which will be the eastern little tuna or the little striped tuna or um, in, or even smaller yellowfin tuna but most of the time it's the eastern little tuna which you guys get off the boat um mackerel red eye sardine um and then we also use a lot of choker or calamari now this comes from the cape we we buy blocks of choker caught in the cape waters which are actually exported for for the food market overseas so it's a grade choker which we use for um for our shore fishing and i can also put in bait like prawn um prawn is a, is a bait we often use for our edible fishing so just off the top of my head those are our main baits that we normally use then um we do like to use shad as well um but as you are aware there's a, there's a limitation on the size and the season i won't be able to tell you what the seasons are because for me shad season is all year round no i'm only lying because <laughs> <laughs> i do follow the law and i never catch undersized shad i never use undersized shad for bait and I only use them within shared season. <laughs> so those are sort of the, the main baits that we use um, from a rock and surf point of view, the general baits that we use. And oh, sorry, sorry um, I obviously forgot about sardines. Um, a certain time of the year, we use sardines, and mainly the sardine run um, June, July, August, September, when the sardines are around. Sardines are a very important bait to us. Yeah, you served the best to last there thing, didn't you, Rudolph? <laughs> yeah, and, and from the deep sea point of view, I think um, it's pretty much the same, you know, your bonitos, your mackerel, your red eye, um, your natal sardines. Um, but there's a couple of little extra ones for live bait, which I, I like the mass bankers when I'm catching them live, but I've had not great success using them as dead baits, but they are absolutely a brilliant live bait. But some of the stranger ones, and I have to say I had nightmares when I first seen these things, <laughs> and still do when I look at them close up, is Walla Wallas and Silkies, because if anybody hasn't seen those things before, they're like something of a horror movie. They're some sort of prehistoric fish. Yes, but, they look like devil fish, those long teeth and ugly-looking mouths. Yeah, they are scary, Mick. Yeah, and, and to be fair, sometimes those Silkies, when you get them in the dirty water, you can catch... 20 of those things in, in no time, you know, they're a great spot to catch them. But I used to throw them back, Rudolph, and a guy said to me at once, um, no, don't throw those things back. And I said, you're kidding, aren't you? Those things are so slimy. I never want to touch them. I never want to put them on the um, jet ski or the kayak. And the guy said, no, you wrap them up in newspaper, and then it, the slime goes off them, take them home, put them in your freezer, and months later, you pull the newspaper off, you wash it in uh, uh, some water, and of course, keep it to throw away later. And there's that shiny, silky, good as new, months later. So I've stuck to that, and I use those things. They are brilliant bait in Mozambique for your cooter. Kingies as well eat those things. So mm, that, That's a nice thing. It's, it's not a bait that we often use, but it's a bait that we do catch off the shore when we're spinning. So... Maybe I'll try that little trick of yours. Um, every now and then, crystal clean water, a nice shiny bait works well for us. Yeah, definitely. And then, of course, a KZN, KZN number one bait, especially on the north coast, is your Walla Wallas, um, which you guys catch generally in the harbours, Richard Bay and Durban. And again, a great fun to catch. Go on a night and fish for those things is great, you know, but you've got to look after those things once you catch them. 
uh, slightly differently. You would wrap them up in cling film, the, the clear uh, plastic, and keep them nice and straight and put those things in a freezer. And that is a fantastic bait for your cooter. So you catch them in the winter time, on those cold winter nights, get yourself down to Durban Harbour <laughs> and um, keep them things all through, you know, April, May, June, top class bait. But even in the summer, you know, if you if you've few left over and you keep them, top, top cooter bait. And Mick, do you think that, that uh, the silky and the walla walla, is it the flavor of the bait that attracts the fish or is it that shine on the body? Because I know the, the walla walla species got a very, very bright silver shine to it. Yeah, I think it's just that flash, that attraction, Rudolph, you know. But um, I suppose we keep that for another show. But the method of fishing with those things is just totally different. To, if somebody hadn't told me, I would never um, fish those things the way you do. Okay, yeah, now end with me, please. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Right, Mick, yes. Um, so I can't wait for the, one of the shows when you share that little secret with us. But um, we as rock and surf or shore anglers make use of guys like you that have got boats and jet skis and surf skis to catch us the bait. So maybe for our listeners' sake, you can enlighten them as to how much effort actually goes into getting that bait um, for us and for yourself. Yeah, that's a great question, Rudolph, because um, often you don't see the work what does go into uh, catching bait. But, you know, the popular species we catch off the coast here is mackerel, and red-eye sardines, and they're usually pretty much the same time those fish are about. So the preparation actually starts way back before we go into the ocean because you've got to be prepared with a nice big freezer at home, and you can't just throw them fish in the freezer when you get back. You've got to get that freezer prepared. So what you have to do is build trays. Mine are built out of uh, pieces of timber, which is 38 by 38 timber, with little legs on, and I put shade cloth on the bottom, I staple shade cloth on, and then I lay those fish out when I get back onto that shade cloth. So there's a nice gap and the air can get round. The nice cold air can get round and uh, um, sort them fish out quickly. Because what you need to do is get them fish frozen quickly and you need to keep them straight. Um, I like to put them on the backs as well to keep the bellies nice and shiny. I know you guys like that nice shiny belly and you <laughs> yes. like to keep the blood inside. Um, and a little trick I learned as well off one of my friends was to put a computer fan into the freezer. So those things only run on five volts and you drop a computer fan inside and it blows that cold air around. And literally within an hour, you can have nice frozen straight baits. It's as quick as that. So basically the process for me would be if I can, and if, I, if I, I'm not lazy and I go to the trouble of doing it, <laughs> I like to get those two liter ice cream containers and put some salt water in. I freeze that salt water because uh, uh, salt water freezes colder than your normal tap water. Sometimes I put salt in, but that's not so important. And I take those two litre bricks, let's call them, and I take them out with me. So when I put my mackerel or red eyes into that water and it starts uh, cooling down a little bit, it is still ice, ice, ice cold. And those baits freeze, the eyes are nice and clear. So when I get back to shore, they're beautiful and they stay like that if you've got the fan in the fridge. So back to actually catching them, we actually catch them with a little feather called a sabiki or a yuzuri. Now, I have a love relationship with these things. <laughs> I think every single fisherman who's ever worked with those have got that same relationship with them, Mick. <laughs> 100%, yeah. So, so, so for the guys who are new to the sport, they are tiny little feathers and they are razor-sharp hooks. And there's only six of them. 
But believe me, when it's windy, you'll think the six zero sixty <laughs> because those things stick everywhere. Uh, not quite everywhere, but most parts of my anatomy have had one of those hooks stuck in them <laughs> at one time and another. My toes, my fingers, my ear, my nose, <laughs> everything, literally. So they're great for catching our little live bits, which will later turn into dead bits, possibly. But you have to be really careful. So actually, that reminds me of a story, Rudolph. I would call this my quickest ever fishing session. <laughs> And it's Sabiki related. <laughs> so, so I launch my little kayak. I get through the surf. As usual, when you have an incident with Sabikis, it's windy. Those things blow all over. So I get my rod out. I tie my Sabikis on. Put a nice heavy four-ounce lead on. And I throw the lead in the water. And bang. Hook straight into my finger. Oh, I know. <laughs> now, if you've ever, never seen a grown man cry, that was the day. <laughs> so I thought, it's only a little hook. Shame, I'll pull the thing out. I get my pliers and I pull and that thing will not come out the end of my finger. So I have to cut the line. I pack my rod away. I pack my everything else away. I paddle back through the surf with this thing in my finger. I go up to the lifesaver and say very embarrassingly, can you please take this thing out my finger? And in one second, bang, that hook came out. But it wouldn't come out at sea. I have no idea why. I do think I know why because... Funny enough, I've also got a Sabiki story. Like I said, I think every single angler's got one. And I was still young and, and still very brave. I bought my first boat. Um, my brother and myself, obviously keen rock and surf angler, said, we're going to start catching our own bait now. We're tired of begging you ski boat guys to get us bait. And a lot of the guys don't prepare it, right? So we're going to do it ourselves. And me having, I think it was my second or third launch ever on my own, said, I'm going to catch bait now. So I've got this little rubber duck. No rod hold is nothing. And uh, we've only got sabiki rods. We've got two rods with strings of sabikis on them. So little, those little flies and we've got six of them. And we even tied two together. So we had 12 on each rod because we're going to get tons of bait for ourselves. It was the plan. So they're lying on the deck and I'm standing steering the boat and my brother's sitting on the nose. And the first wave I hit, these rods move and they bump my leg. Oh. And there's like 10 hooks in my feet. And it's obviously barefoot. And I'm mid-break, I can't do anything. And every single time I hit the bump, the hooks go deeper and deeper. So I get to back line and I say to my brother, you know, create the pliers. I'm not going back now after this. Pull out these hooks. And he said to me, I'm not touching those things. If I see blood, I'm going to faint. And that's something I never knew my brother till that day. And it's one of those bumpy days at the sea. So I said, well, I will take them out myself. And the ones that didn't go into deep, I got out quite easily. A little bit of tears came with it. And there was one in the toe next to my big toe right inside only a little tip of the eye was sticking out and i had the pliers i sat on the deck now and obviously the boat's bouncing up and down it's rough and as i pull this sabiki to pull it out i pull my toe closer to myself (laughs) because if someone else does it you're not aware when they're going to jerk so i know you got to jerk it out quickly but and that's why you couldn't get it out to see because if it's in your finger you pull it out, but you're scared to pull out, so you actually just move your finger with the pliers, and you're not getting the right action. So I think after about half an hour, I managed to get the courage. I closed my eyes, and I just jerked, and I pulled it out and looked at my big toe. <laughs> oh, no way. <laughs> Straight inside again, and I just start the whole process over. And um, eventually got it out, and just blood all over the deck. But luck, I didn't go home. Um, but I must admit, it was very sore, and my brother is sat and looked away he didn't even look at this whole operation i had to wash the blood off the deck first and then we did that and 
Unbelievable. Didn't catch any bait. Came back and then I relearned. Rather fun guys like Mick. They know what they're doing. They, <laughs> <get you paid. laughs> they can take the pain. They can take the pain as well. <laughs> in fact, speaking about pain, Rudolph, I'll just diverse quickly because uh, not bait related, but related to this story. Um, a guy once phoned me and said, um, he's just bought a jet ski. Can I take him out fishing? So I said, yeah, no problem. Let's call him uh, Peter from Port Elizabeth. Because <laughs> that is him. And um, we went out there. And before I was actually going out there, I said, look, what we're going to do, our target species is wow. And these wow eat bonitos. So we've got to catch the bonitos. I'm going to make a trace for you. And I'm going to use these gamakatsu black hooks. These are the sharpest hooks known to man. <laughs> so don't go anywhere near them. Put the hook in the bonito and throw it in the water. And that's it. Hang on to your rod. Yeah, no problem, Mick. I'll do that. So we get out there. He throws the bonito. And unfortunately, he threw it right on his foot. Oh, I can only imagine. Stuck the hook in his foot. <laughs> with so, a live bonito on it. With a live bonito. So he pulls the bonito. He gets the hook out. And these hooks being so sharp, he stuck it in his knee. <laughs> and because these hooks are sharp, it came out quite quickly. He stuck the hook in his hand. This is the third time the hook stuck in this poor guy. Now, this time he can't get it out. So he sh shouted at me and I go over there and the sea was quite calm. So I said to him, I tell you what, Peter, let me pull it out. So if you can picture this, we're out at sea on two jet skis. We sat side to side on the jet ski and I said to him, put your legs onto my jet ski and I'll put my legs onto your jet ski <laughs> and we'll keep the jet skis together and I'll pull the hook out. I pulled that hook road off so hard, I pulled him onto the jet ski <laughs> with me. I could not get that hook out. I pulled and I pulled and I pulled. And in the end, I had to take him to Kingsway Hospital, the poor soul. Oh, so I think he was so black painful. and blue, not with a hook, with me pulling him. It's actually so, amazing how that hook actually sucks into you. And it's a, such a small little hook with such a small little bar, but um, that thing sometimes sucks into you and you cannot get it out. And... Um, it's a, this is also a topic for another um, show, but there are ways of getting it out. But sometimes it can be very, very painful. 100% Rudolph, yeah. I thought I had the way, but I give up after that one. <laughs> yeah, so back to our bait harvesting then. So like I say, um, it takes some effort to get out there to catch that bait. So we've got to have, the freezer's got to be ready. You've got to have those trays there. You've got to have the salt water ready. And out you go with your little sabikis and, uh, to catch those mackerel and uh, those sardines. So once you've got some sardines and mackerel, what a lot of guys tend to do is go out fishing and fish for tuna and wow and cooter. But to be honest, I go out on bait collecting days. So I don't take a trolling rod. I don't take a popping rod. I just take my bait stuff. Yeah. Of course, that's the day when the tuna are jumping <laughs> all over and you haven't got your popping rod. But you know then you're going to bring them back. So if you catch it quite a lot, it's going to last you for months. So that's my technique. Um, and then, of course... When the bonito's about, I really try and get, you know, a few of them. You're only allowed to catch 10, so on that day, I'll catch my 10, and again, I'll get back as quick as possible. I wrap them up in shrink wrap, and therefore, when the big cooter are about, or, of course, those nice trips to Mozambique. And then when guys like you, Rudolph, and your mates phone and say, have you got any bonitos? We say, no, sorry, Rudolph, we haven't got any. Yeah, I've heard that a few times from you, Mick. But yeah, now I'll, I'll remember next time you've got some of the deep freeze, so... I'll come visit you when you're not at home. Yeah, it's funny you should say that, Rudolph, because 
deep freeze keeps coming up in the conversation. And <laughs> it's one of those things where, you know, people say to me, can I put this in your freezer? And I promise you, one of the most scary thoughts is going into the garage and opening my freezer. Because <laughs> I remember the times when we have power cuts and those things, you know, the blood leaks out of those fish and it takes you three days to clean the freezer out. Mm-hmm. Yes, so, um, or you throw the freezer away. If it took you a week to realize that it's off. Um, it actually happened to me in Jeffrey's Bay when I lived there once. My um, cousin and currently my, my business partner in our lodge in Mozambique came to visit and I uh, had a big deep freeze full of chocker, full of mackerel, full of red eye. It must have been thousands and thousands of rands with a bait. And he wanted to cut something with a grinder. And everybody knows you don't go into the garage, you don't unplug the deep freeze, you never do it. My kids knew it. My wife wouldn't even come near the deep freeze because um, you'll get into big trouble if you go near. So he goes, he pulls the, deep, the plug out of the deep freeze, plugs the grind in, cuts what he wants to cut, and he leaves it. A week later, I go into the garage and this awful smell eats me. And I, I didn't even have to look at the deep because I knew exactly what it was. But McKid was fast. He couldn't save it. Um, I just loaded the whole deep freeze with the bait, took it to the dump, and I dumped it. <laughs> so, no yes, I know what you, what you mean. That nervous feeling if you've been away on a trip for two or three weeks and you walk into the garage, the first thing you do is walk straight to the deep freeze and make sure things still running. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, make sure there's a humming noise before you open the yes. lid, 100%. Yeah, yeah. but something, you know, if you go into a tackle shop, Rudolph, and you look at the price of bait, the first thing he says, wow, it's so expensive. But I don't think guys realize the preparation and the work, what's gone into actually getting that bait from the ocean into the, the tackle shop shelves. Or, you know, if your guy, your friendly shore angler comes around and asks for bait, you don't mind tipping a bit over, but... At the end of the day, it's expensive to catch bait these days. Uh, so you, you've got to keep it pristine. Yes, you're 100% right, Mick. Um, bait is not cheap. We, we spend a lot of money on bait. I think besides our tackle, bait is the second most expensive um, tool we use in, in our sport. And there's a reason for it. Um, it's not cheap to go collect it. A lot of effort goes into it from your side. And obviously, we want pristine bait in a pristine condition. So we're willing to pay that price for premium bait. Yeah, and another thing, what I was thinking about, Rudolph, like now, this time of year, you know, we're just, uh, we're going from spring and we're getting into summer. There's a lot of bait about, a lot of mackerel, and a lot of red eyes turn up. And guys go out there, they catch live bait, they catch a few fish, and then they go out the next time, they catch live bait, they catch a few fish, and then when the summer fish move in, all that bait disappears. Yes, Mick. <laughs> that That is why we stock up this time of the year. And... um once again, it comes back to the quality of a bait. It's absolutely pointless stocking up on bait that's not prepared well. Um, something you mentioned just now is going out and catching bait only. Uh, so us as competitive anglers or professional anglers, whatever you want to call us, we've got guys that go out and catch bait for us um, if we can't do it ourselves. And these guys are people like you to go out and catch bait only. The worst thing you can do is have a mate that goes out on his boat, he phones you at 4 o'clock in the afternoon, Hey, Rudolph, I've got 200 mackerel for you. Um, come and fetch them. And he caught them at 6 in the morning, had them in the hatch the whole day in, in warm water or maybe not even in water, even in a cooler box. That bait's absolutely useless to us. Um, it's lost all its flavor. It's lost its freshness. It is soggy. So, yes, um, that bait needs to be very, very well preserved. And as I say, guys like you, and there are quite a few people out there who specialize in catching bait, knows exactly what to do it and as you mentioned goes through all this effort 
to preserve it and keep it in pristine condition. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent, Rudolph. So you know, if you if you're out there now, guys, and you're thinking you want a good fishing season, the preparation starts at home. So get your freezer ready, get the packaging material ready, get your get your uh, sabikis ready, and just go out there when you get the opportunity and catch some bait. You know, you'll get rewarded tenfold for all the effort you put into it. So it's not rocket science, is it, Rudolph? You know, it's more about preparation. It's more about effort. And you know the time of the year, you must get out there and do it. Yes, 100%. And I just want to add that I'm not um, saying to our listeners, don't go support your local, local tackle shop. Because um, most of the tackle stores in South Africa buy bait from bait catchers. So the, the bait that they sell, um, those vacuum pack bags or cling wrap bags, that's top quality bait. Um, so your, your top tackle stores in the country buy bait from bait collectors, and the quality of that bait is very, very good. So if, you, if you're not as privileged as we are on the coast to actually have someone to catch bait for you, your big tackle stores will have good quality bait. Um, just phone a local guy on the coast when you come down on your holiday trip, ask him which tackle store will have the best quality. We as locals know where they are and he'll direct you to that tackle store where you can buy good quality bait which is prepared correctly. Yeah, that's great information, Rudolph. And the other thing, of course, is they often get it at times when we can't get it. So they'll have red, red eyes available when we can't catch red eyes in this area, whether they import them or they might be Portuguese sardines or those tiny little red eyes, which is beautiful. Yeah, so always have a look in your local tackle shop and support your local tackle shops. Yes, yeah, 100% correct, Mick. Um, and yeah, for, uh, stocking up, as you say, is very important. And for us, at know the seasons when the bait's around. So obviously this time of the year is critical for us to stock up because midsummer, November, December, January, February, the macaron red eye normally disappear. The water warms up, um, the water gets dirty from the rivers coming down and your bait just disappears. So stock up now and if you're avid fisherman like we are, make sure you've got enough in your deep freeze. And just to add on to what we as anglers do after we receive the bait from you to keep it um, in our deep freeze and even to last longer, is um, you often will vacuum pack them or cling wrap them. Um, just a little tip out there for, for the guys that, that, that like to stock up bait like we do. Um, I often take my mackerel and I'll take a pile of four or five bags, say 20 of them. I'll tape them together and then I'll take newspaper and wrap that in newspaper and tape that up as well. And there's two reasons I do it. The first reason is light. The light, as soon as you open your deep freeze, is light on the bait. That affects the color of the bait. Um, and it, every now and then it can dry out. And then obviously freezer burn. Even though it could be wrapped or vacuum packed, it can get freezer burn. So if you want to um, stock up so, uh, red eye sardines or sardines or mackerel or bonnies, a little tip is after it's been vacuum packed or cling wrapped, take some newspaper, wrap around it and tape it up. And keeping it dark and protected like that, will add another month or two onto the lifespan of that bait for you. Wow, that's a great tip, Rudolph. Now, what about if you're traveling to Mozambique and you're going to take dead bait? Have you got any tips for guys traveling? Apart from what you've just said there, is there any tips for taking bait long distances? Mick, yes. Um, now, we're getting very technical now. And um, obviously, the first prize is to have a little deep freeze, one of these portable deep freezers, um, which is what we've got. But... If you haven't got one of those, there are ways of transporting it in cooler boxes that can actually, because the, the main thing is you want to keep that bait frozen until you get to your destination and then 
immediately get it in a deep freeze wherever you stay. So the worst thing that could happen is for that bait to start defrosting on your trip. Because as soon as it defrosts and you refreeze it, you've lost that potency of the bait. You'll still catch fish on it, but it's not the best bait in the world. So over the years, us as anglers have learned all the tricks. And a quick little tip for the guys out there who are coming down on holiday or even the locals. If you're traveling and you've got a good quality cooler box, this is a very, very important part. A good quality cooler box that seals well, that doesn't let any air in, is the first tip. Pack your bait in it nice and tight. So you don't want any air locks or air um, space in between the bait. So pack your cooler box nice and tight, squeeze the bait in. And if you've packed all your bait and your bait box is almost is not full, it's like three quarters full. What I do then is I take newspaper and I put layers of newspaper on top of that bait. So that seals it nicely. And then if there's still a gap, take more newspaper and make little balls of newspaper, nice tight little balls, and you squeeze it into that bait box. So there's no air left. Put your lid on and then get some some tape. Um, either this big wide um, masking tape or, or any of those duct tape, any of those type of tapes. Squeeze your lid on nice and tight and tape it up. And I've, we've learned over the years that you can keep bait frozen solid for 24 hours like that. So it's very seldom that you're going to travel more than 24 hours. So that is a little tip for the guys out there to keep your bait frozen. Um, something that we've also learned, um, you know these little freezer blocks, it's like a little plastic block, I don't know what you call them, that you put in your cooler box to keep yeah, your stuff. Ice co- bricks. Ice bricks, ice yeah. bricks. We thought by putting ice or ice bricks with your bait, it will keep them frozen. It doesn't work. I agree, yeah. Um, for some reason, that ice brick actually defrosts your frozen bait. It, it brings the temperature down. So I, I don't believe in ice or ice bricks at all. Um, dry ice, on the other hand, is something you can add. If you, you can get all of the, the old dry ice, wrap it in newspaper, put it in there, and then also get rid of all the air. That does work, but it's not something that's easy available these days. So the best advice is, like I said, fill your cooler box as much as possible, get rid of all the air, and then use newspaper to fill the remaining airspace um, get the lid on nice and tight, tape it up, and then you'll keep your bait frozen for 24 hours. Get to your destination. First thing I do when I get to my destination, grab the bait box, put my bait in the deep freeze. Wow, that's a great tip, Rudolph, because, you know, if we go back through that, all of what we've discussed there, you're doing all the preparation to uh, get your freezer ready to accept the bait. You're going out to catch that bait. You're bringing it back. You're packaging it all up. You're putting it in the freezer. The last thing you want to do is put it in a, a cooler box, which isn't good enough to transport it to your fishing <laughs> destination. So, you know, the whole process there is um, from experience. We've explained how to do it. So at the end of the day, guys and girls, get out there, get your bait, look after it, take it to where you're going, and hopefully you'll catch some nice trophy fish. Yes, yeah, Mick, yeah, it was a very interesting conversation. Thank you so much. And i just like to add that um, I don't think people realize how important bait is when it comes to fishing, um, shore fishing and boat fishing, it's absolute critical. And I've met some brilliant anglers over the years and they complain they can't catch fish and then they, they're lacking on bait preparation. So spend the, the time and the money on it, do it properly and you'll definitely have more success. Yeah, thanks for sharing that, Rudolph. So from myself, Mick Clark and Rudolph's Keepers, it's been another great show. Thanks very much, listeners. Thank you so much, Mick. And um, we'll go and wait till next week.